So from what I gathered, we are today talking about uh, a very important CPU in the computer history, 6502. So, Mr. Yasmin, take it away. So you basically broke my idea of introduction because I was I was trying to, I was intending to ask you what is the uh, similarity between Apple II, Apple IIe, Apple One, Atari, uh, BBC, BBC Micro, Atari 400, uh, 800, Com- 600, Commodore PET, Commodore VIC, Commodore 64, Commodore Nintendo 600, NES, 20, uh, 28, Oreo, uh, Oric, uh, Turbo Graphics, Nintendo Entertainment System, and so on and so on. And the correct answer is. The 6502 processor. To be to be completely precise, not the exactly 6502, mm-hmm. but 6502 and some of the sub variants of the 6502. Okay. Because we need to be precise. But my today's topic is not uh, only the processor. The processor itself is a legendary thing. It is. Uh, it is so legendary that. Uh, I'm Six go- plus billion. No, no, I'm going to go with this thing. Nobody knows how many processors have been built. Nobody knows how many processors have been sold, and nobody actually knows how many processors are being uh, manufactured today, because it has been in public domain. Uh, Almost all of the producers of anything uh, have included in their own uh, designs. Mm -hmm. And the third thing is that uh, there is no, since there is no patent, there is no actually way way to measure uh, how many processors are on the market right Mm -hmm. now. The number is in the billions. I've, I've read an article which states more than 6 billion. Yes, so the number is in the billions. Uh, 6502 was part of almost all the keyboards on the market. Mm-hmm. It was part of the most... Printers, scanners. Printer scanners, uh, traffic lights, uh, any sensors out there. So basically they're... they're I actually found a source that says it's heavily used in industrial automation to yes, run the machines. Yes, yes, as yes, well. because yeah, good. Uh, let's let's do let's do a quick uh, quick uh, rundown of what six five zero two is. But as I said, I'm not only interested in this processor; it's mm-hmm. a legendary processor. But I'm also interested in uh, this being a part of fundamentals that you need to have and uh, uh, use when you are doing computer science. Oh, from be- educational standpoint. Yes, so be- because Kick-ass. my main my main thing that is interest, uh, interesting in uh, for the six, uh, in six hundred two is that this is one of those things that people and by people I mean students today don't understand why we have it. Mm-hmm. Why are we still teaching it? Because it is supposed to be uh, what is it forty something seventy five. It, it is it's, no, it's kind of coming to. 50 years old yeah, processor. It was 75. Yes, so it's basically, it, it is going to be, in two years, it's going to be uh, 50, 50, years, years 50 years old. And it is still being produced. At the same time, uh, Intel hasn't been producing the, uh, any, any of the processors that uh, they made basically two generations, two generations ago. There are some older ones that they are producing, that, but that's an exception to the yes, rule. The, 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 the rule is there. Yes, the rule is there. So, uh, Almost none of the older processors are being produced right now, except for the Z80. And Motorola's. And Motorola's and the 602s. Mm-hmm. So what makes the first generation of the processing uh, processors so uh, useful on the today's market? This is the first thing. First thing. And why are they useful in the education market? 
can I try to start without actually knowing? Yes, I, I yes, didn't yes, read yes, about yes, this. Yes. I have a sneaking suspicion that I might know parts of the answers to the question. Yes. Which and, and you can freely correct me if I'm wrong, of course. We're talking about the CPU that was designed in 1975. Okay. So basically, probably in 74, because in 75, it was on the market. Yes, correct. Okay. But uh, as you said, 50 years ago. The people of that age, I remember uh, the articles and the magazines that they were reading. We had a discussion about yes. that last year. Um, they were, uh, in terms of the uh, education and in terms of technical level, the, 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 the people who were in this industry were millions of miles away ahead of most of the people today, which meant that they, given the current constraints of technology, created a CPU that was good out of the box, yes. which works perfectly, which has been debugged to eternity. And it was cheap. It was cheap. And at that point in time, if I remember correctly, because I read about this some 20 years ago or so, it was something like four times faster than Z80. Yes, because it was it was an actual risk uh, processor that was okay. But there are still it, debates about that. I yes, think. but uh, it was the time when almost everything that we uh, take for granted about processor right now was being debated and designed because they weren't explicitly trying to design a risk or a risk. They were designing a processor for a purpose. Yes. So in the seventies. We are now taking for granted that we know what a CISC is or what a risk is. But back then, basically, they were moving the boundaries as they moved along. Oh, yes. So uh, the names for the interrupts, the names for the uh, different uh, things, flags. Uh, the different flags, different parts of the processor were being made up as they moved oh, along. Great. So so this is this is the one of the things that uh, defines the IT in the 70s. Because it still does today. Yes, but back then, you more or less could uh, hold almost all of the body of knowledge about the processing inside your head. Mm -hmm. You didn't need a, a huge team to be able to produce uh, an end, end result or end product. You could uh, buy a processor on the market for cheap, develop something around it by using simple and cheap parts from the market. Mm -hmm. You could do it by yourself mm -hmm. because you could both design the software and design the hardware. So you would able to be uh, you were able to be use, uh, using the um, uh, assembly language and the harder part, the harder design by yourself. Mm -hmm. And this is something that actually defined the way that IT uh, was, I would say, creating a new generation of IT guys uh, back then. Two things. First thing, if uh, again, I haven't read about this in decades, but uh, uh, literally, I, I do remember some snippets of data. I remember that uh, in one of the articles that I read when I was, uh, let's say, back in college, I think, about 6502, the, it said that the team of engineers who created 6502 were something like 15 people. That's impossible today. Yes. That's the first thing. And the second thing that I distinctly remember was uh, you mentioned the pricing. I remember reading in, an, uh, in a scientific paper, it was some kind of an article somewhere, that the price of this was something like $25 to Intel's or Motorola's 200 I think that the difference was even greater. I think that these were the numbers that I saw. I can actually look it up. While yes, I, 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 uh, okay. It was incredibly, uh, like, enormously cheaper. 
but uh, I don't know the actual numbers because I was trying to find them, but uh, I wouldn't. I wasn't able to. But uh, to be honest, I wasn't looking to, uh, too much. But the uh, thing that I know was that uh, at the at I was correct. Twenty-five to two hundred. Okay, can, can, can you uh, just do the calculation and say uh, how much is $25 in today's money? I, I'm going to try to find that while we talk. Okay, anyways, uh, I don't care about the actual amount. Uh, what uh, I'm pretty interested in is how it related to TTL chips uh, back in the day. Because in... $140. So $140. This is a price of, let's say, uh, Raspberry Pi today. So this is something affordable to a person who is trying to develop something. Yeah. And uh, the comparable price for the processor itself was mm -hmm. comparable to other uh, logical gates and everything else, the multiplexes, the multiplexes and so on back in the day. So if you wanted to develop something, this wasn't a ch uh, this wasn't an expensive part. Today, yeah. today you cannot go to the market, buy uh, 3900 uh, Intel mm -hmm. and then develop something about it. There is no way okay. for you to do this. Yeah. You need okay. motherboard. Motherboard has to be developed by somebody else. Mm -hmm. Then Memory, bas basically OS. there is no way for you to create anything on the 16 layer motherboard design. Mm -hmm. So you need either a specialized team or you need to buy something from the market and you are going to end up with a normal PC. And back then you could buy a handful of chips and create your own design. Can I annoy you a little bit? In, the, in At least in this episode, just okay. for fun. What is the most favorite, uh, let's say, the most famous bit of trivia related to 6502? That it had an unknown instruction that they had to put in because everybody was using it? I'm talking about human, <coughs> human trivia, not technical one. Many, many years later. Yes. A, car a cartoon and a robot. Ah, the Bender. Yes. The Bender one, because in Futurama, Bender is supposed to be running on 6.02. Correct. But in the multiprocessor system. Yes. Mm. This would have been interesting back in the day. But one could argue that uh, today we are running in an extremely multiprocessor system uh, as it is. Okay. Because uh, your mobile phone is basically, what, 20 processors at, th at the same time? Probably not too off, too far off, actually. Yes. Yes, because um, in the in the real life, um, as you know, both of you are uh, lectures on something. I'm currently doing the computer architecture, and I'm doing 6002 assembly. I wouldn't call it a deep dive, but let's say introduction to 6002 assembly uh, for the students. And basically, when we take a look at uh, what 6502 defined in the assembly language mm -hmm. and how it was defined, it stands. Today, everything that they did is much more uh, much more complex today. But everything they did is more or less defined in the same way: the way interrupts work, the way um, memory handling works, the way okay, single pipeline and no pipeline at all, basically. Mm -hmm. But single uh, instruction execution, how how it works, everything is more or less. As if, if you wanted to design a computer for the education. Mm -hmm. And what I don't understand, and I must say that I don't understand it uh, for the last 20 years or so, is why when we were doing the formal education back in the university, why did we have to learn on a simulated computer that was something else other than 6502? 
Yeah, that's actually a question that's been bothering me as well for many, many years because we had two college uh, classes where we were uh, doing assembly language. One of them was basically from that standpoint useless. Yes. And the second one was excellent for Motorola's. But uh, the first one, which was about Z80 and the virtual non-existent Schmier computer, yes. that's practically unusable, uh, even back in the day. I, I understand when back in the day, Minix was a thing mm -hmm. because they needed something to be able to uh, learn on because the Unix as, as, it, is, as it was, was copyrighted mm -hmm. and it wasn't uh, educationally available. You had to buy a license for it. Yes. And I understand this part, but from the hardware standpoint, in the 90s, 6.02 was completely, completely okay to... Uh, to learn the basics of computer basics. science. Yes. And not only Even the basics, more. because yeah. uh, right now, if you take a look at 6.02 org or any other website that is um, uh, Visual 6.02 or, or something else, you are going to see that there is an enormous amount of resources available. The following is, in, is uh, the following of that is basically cult status. Yes, and the other thing is that uh, you can actually get six zero two assembly uh, programs written today. People are actually writing for the uh, for yeah, the process today. Used, used product. Yes, so I don't understand why people sh uh, seem to avoid it so much, uh, thinking this is an old processor. It is an old processor, but it is a well-aged processor. Yes, to, to your point. Why are we teaching uh, this class from the perspective of first 6502 and then ARM? And why not start with ARM? Please explain that to me. I'm, I'm a, you know, I have IQ 60. First and foremost, I'm not teaching 6502. Okay. I'm trying to explain to people how assembly language works, but I want to be able to explain not the particular assembly language. I want to be ex uh, able to explain how different parts of the computer work. Uh, if I want to do this, I need a simple, as simple as possible, but working solution. I know that 6.02 is a working solution. And I want it to be as simple as possible, but not uh, too simple. So I'm trying to avoid, I'm trying to avoid uh, introducing an additional variables like uh, multi-threading, multi-processing and everything else. Hundreds of registers. Uh, dozens of registers, we'll call it dozens, that ARM provides. I'm trying to avoid uh, hundreds of uh, instructions. I'm trying to avoid uh, introducing floating point uh, arithmetics where there shouldn't be any floating point arithmetics right now because uh, the students as they are when they come to here, they, can, they come here, I'm not completely sure with integer arithmetic. So if I try to teach them floating point, it's just going to make it much more complicated to understand what I'm talking about. So I need to start somewhere. 6502 is as close to the silicon as you can go, but at the same time, it works. So I don't want to use something artificial. I want to have something that, that is and was uh, running back then, something that defined the um, uh, market for the small computers because it- Home did. computers, yes. So because personal. Small, small computers, personal computers, because back then, when you wanted to buy a computer, you could either buy an enterprise one, so basically, uh, extremely expensive uh, timeshare or extremely expensive computer for yourself, or you could make yourself one, or you could buy one that was made by somebody and those computers were cheap. I think mm -hmm. the only computer that was close um, when it comes to the price was the Spectrum. So Z80 based uh, generation of computers. I agree. Because 
to be completely honest, Z80 is an amazing computer by itself. Z80 mm. is an amazing processor. It is. And I think that Z80 is even better than 6502 for a couple of reasons. But 6502 is much better when you need to teach somebody uh, somebody about... For educational For purposes. educational person, we need to teach somebody the basics. Because to be completely straightforward, I'm not trying to teach them assembly. I'm trying to teach the them principle. how the computer works. And I need the assembly for them to be able to show me that they understand the principles. So, as the Latin people would say, abovo usque ad mala, or uh, from, from eggs to apples. Yes, yes. This is the one thing. And the other thing is that in order to be able to explain to me how addition works, you need to know at least how to say it in the mathematical language. So, I need to explain and the digital electronics partially as well. Yes, but I'm not interested in electronics right now. Uh, okay. 6002 is amazing in this part, even uh, because it is able to run basically on anything that is uh, logically capable or capable of producing a logical signal, uh, uh, computer logic signal. So any signal level is okay with uh, 6002. The first generation, it was probably uh, out of need, not out of uh, what they ha wanted to do. They mm -hmm. had to do it because they didn't know where it's going to be uh, run at. And there is a lot of tweaks that have made 6002s uh, popular today because the original series was running at one megahertz. Today, uh, I think that the, one of the generations is running at 42 or 45 gigahertz, uh, megahertz. So they have come a long way since then. Okay. They have created something that is basically free. Uh, if you want to produce 6002 today, it is such a small component. It's such, uh, it has so small footprint that you can create it for basically the amount of money to take to uh, just run the company, run the machines. Uh, the chip itself has no price. Mm -hmm. So it is cheap. The background is available. A lot of assembly uh, is available. A lot of documentation. A lot of okay. documentation is available. And a lot of solutions are available. I think I could argue with uh, with anybody that there is, uh, given the amount of things that can be done on 6002, that the amount of different solutions already available in the market is bigger than for some of the well-known languages today. I agree. Okay. Actually, uh, I ask your favorite uh, AI friend today. Yes. Something. You chat GPT friendly. I asked him why is 6502 still important today? So cost effectiveness, we discussed that. Reliability. It wouldn't be in use for 50 years, 50 years if it wasn't uh, reliable. Familiarity, a lot of people know how to program it. That's good. Then we get to some really important stuff like power efficiency. It doesn't consume a lot of power. It's an 8-bit CPU that consumes almost nothing. And uh, the last but not least, which is partially your reason why you like it, which is nostalgia. But I wouldn't be nostalgic because if, if I were... I would go with Z80. I was always a Spectrum guy. I must say that I, I was an Amstrad guy. Yes, but I, I was a Spectrum guy. So I had a ZX and I had a, a, a what was it? Z28? Z81. Okay. So, uh, okay, ZX was uh, uh, Z80 based. Uh, and I was a Spectrum guy. I wasn't used to thinking in the way that uh, Commodore 64 which was the main uh, main uh, opening to the market, uh, 
the way the programs were structured and the way the hardware was structured. Mm-hmm. Because the hardware in the, in the Spectrum and hardware in the uh, Commodore were completely separate things. Yeah. Uh, uh, they had the uh, Commodore had its own set of uh, dedicated chips for uh, audio and video and so on. So I'm more of a Z80 guy. Okay. If, if, if I need to uh, choose a side, but 6002 is such a simple thing to explain. Uh, it's, yeah, to you and me. Uh, uh, to anybody. Because if I try to explain Z80, it has this small amount of things that makes it better but makes it harder to explain when somebody needs to see how a processor looks like inside for the first time. Well, it's going to be much worse if you ever had to teach something like Intel assembly language <laughs> and instructions because there are thousands of them. Um, there is something like 4,000 4, something, something, yes. yes. Yeah. So, but we Nothing against with... that, it's just a fact. But I think that the problem uh, becomes uh, big when you underst- uh, when you see that Basically, you need to have a guide with you all the time because you are unable to remember which uh, instruction you want to use. What do you think? What's the primary reason why, uh, let's say, 6502 uh, has such a basically small amount of instructions versus the Intels of today? What's the primary reason? First, they they didn't need them. They absolutely agree with you. They didn't need them because uh, they didn't know what to expect. A lot of the instructions in the Intel world or the uh, CISC world came from... Intel is not CISC. No, so sorry. Uh, okay. In- Intel is what? Both at the yes. same time. Yes, they, but they are CISC. They are complex instructions because they are complex instructions. Yeah, internally there is a risk. Yes, internally there is a risk, but they are trying to behave like a CISC. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that I think that Intel was... Uh, getting the instructions by the dozens in order to try to create a general purpose uh, processor that's going to be able to do anything. Correct. That's that's the other reason, which is by far the, the largest reason why we have thousands of instructions. Yes, because they were trying to fix everything in the silicon. And they were trying to uh, create audio deco- uh, decoding, uh, video decoding, security, everything that you can possibly think of in silicon. Yeah, and, th- th- and that's the reason. And they're, they're, the risk guys, first, they didn't know that they were creating a risk. Mm-hmm. They were they were trying to fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. If you take a look at the newer generations or newer derivatives of 602, you will see that a lot of things that got uh, built into the processor, so the new instructions and everything else, is basically just things that were actually needed. So bit shifting... Uh, being able to directly read or write the bits, uh, being able to do the branching directly on the, uh, some bits. So they didn't try to implement instructions. That, for everything. For everything. They were mm-hmm. trying to uh, iron out the corners that were missing because somebody actually wanted to do something in 602 and was missing uh, uh, instructions to be able to do it uh, quickly. Basically, the, the, the sum, summarized answer to, to the question is because Intel and uh, other CPU manufacturers made such an enormous amount of registers over the course of development of their CPUs for accelerating X, Y, Z and many other things. And with that came a lot of uh, instructional complexity. Yes, because uh, even when they uh, were completely changing the way 602 was working. So there is a part called 6565C816S. Uh, so it's the is the chip that is actually uh, was designed as uh, 
newer version of the 602. Mm-hmm. It is a 16-bit chip with 16-bit registers, and it is able to run uh, to use uh, 24 bits of uh, memory uh, memory addresses. Okay. So uh, even when they did that, the number of instructions went from 56 to 92. So it wasn't such a big leap. Yeah, in because the regi- in registers uh, in Intel, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of additions per register. Yes. So uh, what they did is they completely turned uh, the architecture upside down because they introduced basically double the amount of uh, space or double the amount of uh, storage space in the registers in, in, in themselves, but they didn't change the process so much. So mm-hmm. this was another way of thinking. And I think this is the reason why people still like older chips because they are able to- Much more efficient. Much more efficient and much easier to understand. Yes. If you see, um, okay, when I was younger, I never understood how a person could be reading the hexadecimal dump of a program, any program, and to be able to understand anything. Okay. When you try to work with 602 for a year or two, you're able to do this. Yeah, because, I know. Because More the, than a few people told me that. Yes, because the number of uh, instructions is so small that it takes you probably a week or two to, un- to remember them all. And learning from the hex dump basically in a year or two is like learning basics of another language. Okay. So having coughed, uh, coughing, uh, having coughed a little bit, um, learning uh, assembly is complicated. If you need to learn assembly uh, in uh, Intel, I think, arguably, it's more complicated than learning C. I agree. Because the number of keyboards in C or mm-hmm. C++ is much, much, much smaller than the number of uh, possible instructions. Okay. So when you want to do something in Intel, you need to first think in assembly, then you need to find out, is there an instruction that is able to do this quickly? Okay. Then you need, when you see the uh, family of instructions that does it quickly, you need to learn which one is better, and then you use it. Okay. And this makes programming in Intel more or less on par with programming in any programming language. Okay. I would say that uh, when you're including all the different uh, libraries for, I don't know, Python or C++ or whatever, it's more more like uh, pro- the programming assembly is uh, something like this. 6002 enables you to go to the basics, mm-hmm. to need to think in modules, you need to think in smaller chunks, and you need to think about basic elemental functions. And this is what I like. I like to tell the students that for me, 6002 is a Sudoku in assembly language. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because it's, it's like chess. The, uh, the rules are simple, but implementing them is complicated. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, with that being said, there are other reasons why we chose the path of 6502 and and then ARM. Um, It's not necessarily something that can be like binary traced or something, but a lot of people do consider the ARM CPUs that were basically created by the parts of the same team that created the uh, 6502. They consider ARM to be what they call the spiritual descendant of the 6502. And... um, I recently actually I read some kind of an interview with uh, one of the authors of of the ARM CPU, which was like a second version of 6502 made for a specific computer a little bit later, Acorn or whatever it was called. 
Um, and in that interview, the, the, the one of the engineers uh, that worked on that specific uh, uh, those specific projects, kind of like dissed on the idea of six five zero two being uh, good at all for anything, and or six five zero two being in any way related to uh, future ARM processors. Uh, that being said, uh, when you look into the uh, inf uh, the reference of instructions for ARM and for six five zero two. And for example, you uh, check the documentation part about the status flags or stuff like that. ARMS and um, 6502s basically have the same status flags and they are basically named the same and they have the same nomenclature in terms of the names. Yes, because the nomenclature, for example, for the interrupts, RQ, is directly from 6502. Yeah. Uh, it's basically the way they name the flags. And as I said, they were inventing things as they moved along. Uh, there wasn't a specification that said you need to uh, name the interrupt lines like this. Mm -hmm. They were using the interrupt, so int or RQ or whatever, interrupt request or interrupt any, anyway, mm -hmm. it, it was working. And uh, this is probably the reason why people still, still remember the 602. And the other thing is that once you learn anything else, any other uh, same language, when you come to 6.02, you come to something that looks familiar to you. And you can okay. use it probably in under half an hour. Because if you know how to think in assembly, it's simple to use it. It's it's just easy. You okay. know you know different uh, commands. There is not so many of them. It takes you 10 or 15 minutes to understand what is the general idea of the commands that you have at your disposal. And then it's just a, a question of... Uh, having some uh, some experience with the with the processor itself and then that's it okay because i like to think about 682 as being an extremely stupid processor that is completely and utterly uh easy to talk to so that it doesn't invent things you don't need to think about uh, how it is going to interpret things because it's not interpreting anything it does exactly what you want it to do. So being stupid in this particular case means not inventing things. Something that ChatGPT is extremely good at. Can I ask you a question? Yes. So you are Yasmin and you, you talk to chips. Yes. It's easier that way. That's going to be become your introductionary no, say, no, no, sentence. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going to, be, I'm going to uh, introduce myself as playing Sudoku on 602. Oh, uh, that's so awesome. Because... It sometimes it makes sense to instead of playing Sudoku, trying to optimize, uh, try to optimize a loop. Okay. Or do something because you can easily create a loop. You can easily calculate how many cycles does it take to run. You can easily try to invent another way of doing it. You can easily see how many cycles did you waste this time, and how to optimize the second one, the third one, and so on, and then to um, have some way of. Uh, trying to uh, make uh, understand the difference between the, the different implementations that you did. And this is probably the reason why I like teaching it. Because okay. when I give the students a task, for example, we are using a simulator called Easy 602. It's available on the internet. And it has a small part of memory reserved as a video memory. So you can actually write to it and then it writes, uh, outputs the pixels on the screen. I give the students a, a simple task to animate a pixel that is going to move around. It is interesting to see out of 200 students or so, 
that you are inevitably going to see at least 15 to 20 different solutions that are going to be different and uh, different from everything else that you have seen up to this point mm -hmm. because everybody is going to invent their own different way of uh, solving the problem. And the problem is the same. So I like to see how people think. Okay. I have something to add to that, which is a little bit of a, let's say, side note. Uh, I had uh, re I recently had a discussion about uh, some of the programming books with our students on that same course about the uh, art of computer programming, etc. I told you about this. Uh, there's a related story to this. Uh, there's uh, like a, I remember distinctly this from high school when I was reading the, uh, the the Knut books. There's a portion of the code which he posted in uh, which we typed in in the book, and he offered something like I don't know hundred dollars per every bug that was found over the years for that specific uh, piece of code. Okay. Okay. Still to this very day, as far as I'm aware, uh, people are still finding bugs for that specific, let's say, block of 20 lines of code or so, which only actually kind of plays, uh, this kind of like goes along with with uh, something that you mentioned, different ways of sol solving the same problem, which is what programmers do. But also uh, one larger point, which a lot of our students are not aware of, which is there is no correct way to program things a lot of the times. And there are different solutions, uh, different solutions to the same problem, all of them more or less d d delivering the same results or even the same results. But uh, what can be distinctive about them is not the amount of errors or whatever you find in them. It's about how much time and how much resources they take. Yes. And the other thing is that uh, there are no correct solutions, but there are incorrect solutions. There are. Uh, so uh, whatever sticks is usually the way that uh, people are programming. And I don't care if it sticks. So uh, I like to see how people think. I like to see different ways of implementing things in uh, assembly. And I like to see how they are implemented in the, in the way that it behaves. So if it fulfills the whatever uh, requirements. The, the made, letter of the requirement. The letter of the requirement, I don't care. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I like to see how people are going around the problems that they posed or dilemmas that they posed them uh, when I was making up the requirements. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'd like to see how people behave when they try to inevitably Google it, try to find a solution, then then suddenly don't see a solution. Uh, because uh, the 6502 has one thing going for it. There is a lot of resources on the internet, but since we are talking about assembly code, usually people don't do the comments well. So if you're looking for a particular piece That's of code, a good one. if you're looking for a particular piece of code, either you know what you're looking for and then you are able to write it yourself or you are trying to find something that you don't know how it looks like and there is no pointer to uh, point in the right direction. If I ask you to create, uh, I don't know, um, floating point division in 602 code, it is going to be easy because you're going to find uh, code snippets done by Wozniak or somebody else. Mm -hmm. But if I ask you to create a simple thing like I want a diagonal line uh, in this part of the memory, this is going to behave like a canvas and then I need a diagonal line here. There is no code reference because every task is so simple that you cannot Google it. 
you could give uh, give an example like you know uh, like turn on the lights in this like in circular direction or yes. something like that. And yes. it will be completely pointless there is no way that somebody made that already and fix it 6002 um, has an additional thing with uh, going on with ChatGPT because ChatGPT has seen an enormous amount of examples in different uh, assembly languages mm -hmm. and since most of them are similar to what 6002 assembly language looks like it assumes that it knows and no it it makes up uh, and mixes up the you know, instructions so oh, that's, it that's, starts, it that's starts, so bad <laughs> yes it starts using instructions from another assembly language and then uh, switches back to 6002 and it is hilarious to look me. at no <laughs> no i have a few examples uh, for the instructions that are completely made up by uh, ChatGPT. Because oh, it doesn't, it, is, it isn't, uh, uh, ChatGPT still isn't able to compile those things. So he doesn't understand that this is not going to compile and it looks okay for him. Try to make it, yes. write some kind of a code about some, some program, whatever, which uses some kind of a accelerated AVX 512 register instruction or something. Try to do it on purpose. But, but uh, ask it, uh, I want you to make me a program in 6502, which uses the AVX 512 uh, instruction on purpose not not now but okay, try but to do it for 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 fun for fun games okay so uh, now uh, we have to discuss some other things related to 6502 now i'm going to turn completely you know unaware i don't know what the mm -hmm. hell we're talking about i don't know anything about 6502 why is that so forget about history now we're talking today why is it important uh two things first in order to understand the assembly language that we are using today and to understand the computer architecture that we're using today, you need to understand how 6.0.2 was created because I think that it is the right link. It's not the only link, but the right link bec uh, uh, between the Turing machine mm -hmm. and von Neumann's architecture mm -hmm. and what we have today. It is one of the, most, uh, one of the more links that we have, but I think it, this is the right one because it has enough of the history inside it but it is complex enough to be able to uh, behave like something that can be programmed today. Because programming Turing machine is simple. No, it's not. It's simple, but it's tedious. No, no, no. It's, it's simple in terms of uh, the simplicity of operations. Yes, but it's, it's tedious. It's very difficult from our perspective of people who think in, uh, on, on much higher level. Yes, so we need, we need a link. We yes. need something that is higher than the Turing machine, but it's lower than the normal C. And I think that 6502 fills this point, this uh, link in order to be normal enough, because I consider today's processor to be too complex for this. Okay. You cannot, you cannot explain a single pipeline thing with the processor that is able to run in, on uh, 25, uh, 24 cores. So you need something that is simpler than this because people don't like to see a complex thing. They want to learn on something they that's don't, simple. They surely don't want to start with it. Yes. So we need somewhere to start. So induction methodology, basically. Yes. Okay. Basic, basically, if I use something simpler than this, it wouldn't be as, uh, okay. as effective. But that's the computer science explanation. Is yes. there another explanation? I'm, I'm not uh, shooting for an answer. I don't know. I'm just asking. I think, I think that the biggest, the biggest thing is that everybody's using it because they know how it behaves. Where? Everywhere. If you are using uh, industry uh, automation, you want to be able to uh, formally verify your code. Mm -hmm. It is simple enough to be formally verified. You can understand how it is going to behave. All the bugs are known. All the unknowns are known right now because it has been used for the last 40 years. 
So you can be a reason almost fifty, and you can be reasonably sure that whatever you do is going to be completely understandable to everybody, including the uh, risk assessment guys, so that you can actually write critical code in it. Okay. Yeah. Are there any other parts of the industry where this is used? Other than education industry as such, and I, I, I don't know sensors, IoT, something. Yes, but uh, when it comes to sensors in IoT, it is hard to understand what is happening because six hundred zero two is so ubiquitous and so small that you can basically put it inside a chip that is going to ha have the 64 k of memory. It's a small chip. 64 k of memory is small. Mm -hmm. Your chip is small itself, so you can probably create a controller that is going to fit into the USB cable. Mm -hmm. And you don't know it's there because since there are no uh, reasons for people to explain, explain this to you, I can put it in the USB cable and not tell anybody. So I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know what is actually uh, containing the 6002 today because it is so ubiquitous that people can basically make a million of those, put them inside the camera, put them inside the cable. For example, you have a cable that is uh, showing you the energy level or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's powered by 6002. I don't know. No, that's that's actually imaginable. That's a, that's a good example. I, I, I don't know which uh, microprocessor is there. But something has to drive the display, mm -hmm. and something has to uh, has to understand the sensor that is going to um, be measuring the power. So, it could be six zero two. It can be something similar to it. We're going to disassemble one of those cables and but, check. Uh, even even for if, fun. Even if you disassemble it, it can be a small chip with only a couple of a uh, couple of uh, pins on it. Because since the memory can be inside the chip, and this can be made extremely small. You don't need anything else than the connection to the uh, sensors. Okay. So it's a simple thing to implement. Okay. And now kind of like uh, slowly but surely wrapping this up, I have another question for you. You mentioned something about those old computers, etc. You said you were a Spectrum guy. Yes. Which is Z80. Yes. Why are you not a 6502 guy? And don't tell me it's generational because it's not. Uh, I think that the main reason is because I was used to uh, the games on Spectrum look better than on 6802 if you don't have the additional chips. Because Z80 is what is and was uh, easier to work with. So um, this is something that we can safely say that out of the box, Spectrum looked better than everything that can be done on uh, 6002 only uh, processor. You mean like C, like, like Commodore like, 60, like, 64 without the turbo modules and stuff like that? Yes, something? but uh, six, uh, Commodore 64 without the modules is not Commodore 64. I would oh, I call agree. It, uh, because I was I was raised on Orao. Orao was a school computer here in uh, our in, region. Uh, yes. Here in our region, and this uh, this uh, computer was basically 6002 with almost nothing at all, at all except the memory, and it was rudimentary. So I prefer Z80. I okay, that's that's okay. I used Atari a lot. Uh, I saw what it was able to do. Even those older versions, which were six five zero two based, it had a very good GUI for for its age back in the day, which was beginning of the nineties or something, end of the uh, end of the eighties. Uh, so yeah, uh, for for me, it's the other way around. Okay, but basically, I never had the Spectrum. 
Uh, actually, I, you know, I bought one of those. Which yes, is, yes, yes. This yes. is recent because I want to play with it. I played Spectrum exactly once in my life with my one of my cousins. That's it. 664, I played all the way to high school. And uh, I had Amsterdam when I was much younger. Uh, of course. It's, it's, it's a thing that uh, is basically a chance. Uh, I got yes. my Spectrum back way when computers weren't as available as they are today. Mm -hmm. And you... Today, if you don't like your console, you buy another one. So basically, it's easy to switch from PlayStation to Xbox. Because you uh, play PlayStation, you like PlayStation, then you say, okay, in the next generation, I'm going to switch over to Xbox and just buy another console. If I can be a little bit stupid, I think that the only way in which people are going to do that is going to be in the other reaction. But that's just me. But okay, okay. Any, any, <laughs> anyways. Uh, but in back way then the computers were too expensive to buy another one. So you couldn't switch from uh, Spectrum to uh, computer, uh, Commodore 64 because nobody was able to normally afford having two different uh, platforms with two different sets of uh, tapes with everything else that needed to, to be done. Yeah, and it's completely different in terms of how you were using them. And yes, Amstrad was yes. also different, and Atari was also different. Yes, and the media was uh, different. Uh, for Commodore, you could buy uh, floppies. For uh, Spectrum, you uh, were stuck with uh, tapes. Then with uh, QL, you had microdrive, mm -hmm. which was completely proprietary and basically useless. Mm -hmm. So basically when you bought a platform, you were stuck with it. I agree. I remember the, the first PC that I got way later, actually, it was crazy expensive. The, the XT generation 8088. Mm, but uh, no, PCs uh, or uh, as they were called enterprise level or business, uh, business computers were expensive as they expensive they, they can get uh even the even there was even an amstrad uh pc there was there was at the, a, at the end of their journey C cpc yes i have one of those at home uh it was a cpc that was uh atari had a handheld device as well the portofino portfolio or portfolio, something like portfolio. that i had it uh, yes i had i had it also with the with the external printer or whatever it was it was basically uh emulating uh ibm xt mm-hmm and it had DOS. Yes, I remember. Uh, yes, it, 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 it was an ama amazing small piece of nothing that you could uh, take with you. We have to do an episode about those uh, old devices. I think we already had a discussion about this. Uh, I have some to contribute, and you, when you go to your attic, you're probably going to find history museum there for that. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Okay, I think we have done, we are done for this episode. Uh, let's call it a day, and let's just say that in the background, I did the uh, uh, I did the uh, thing that you asked me to. Okay. I was asking six. Uh, I was asking for the code uh, on the ChatGPT. ChatGPT. And as I said, he's making up uh, instructions. I'll, sh I'll show it to you later, and uh, we'll put it in the we'll put it in the description or somewhere. But it has made its own set of instructions for the six zero two. Oh, it's really good when you have some, such an inventive tool. Yes. Especially when it has no relationship to reality. Yes. Okay. Anyways, uh, thank you for listening to and watching us. Yeah. See you next time. Bye. See you. Bye.